Now pleased to welcome in Stephen Godfrey, SB Nation's senior reporter. Uh, Stephen, good to have you on. How are you, sir? Good, man. Just got back from L.A. and uh, a little jet lag. Had weather, so I missed my flight, uh, my connection in Atlanta, but uh, home now. And, you know, enjoying it. It's, it's, it's kind of my season. It is your season. It's it's supposed to not be my season, but, that, you know, funny how that happens. <laughs> so today uh, you, you dropped some scoopage uh, on, on the interwebs uh, about Ole Miss, which is obviously a topic you, you know really well and have done some great work reporting on this. For the folks who haven't read it yet, please do go to espionation.com slash college-football and, and read about it. Could you give us like a two-minute synopsis kind of on what the latest news with the Ole Miss deal is? So, it's hard to avoid the vocabulary of the NCAA. This this process is purposefully, I don't want to say convoluted, bud, because I think they're really trying hard to be better about transparency. It's just that, you know, you have legal experience. These things kind of bend and wind, and it's not just as simple as, hey, there's accusations, hey, there's a defense, hey, there's a decision. So, the notice of allegations that was initially put against Ole Miss by the NCAA, that was last year, okay? And when that came out, it was a, let's just say, like a certain set of allegations. It, and this whole thing starts, by the way, in track and women's basketball. There are some football mentions involved. There's a couple at the time thought to be really level three, level two stuff, you know, not really going to affect the program. They may take a slap on the wrist. Uh, and you know, most people don't realize this. Level two, level three violations are accusations come almost daily on on the entire membership body of the NCAA. So everyone at Ole Miss is pretty confident they're downplaying it. Uh, Time goes on. They realize more is going to be involved on the football side from the freeze era than the nut era. And initially they think it's more Houston nut-related stuff, which was uh, some grade tampering, I guess you could say, on qualifying some athletes, a guy named David Saunders, who had left and was, a, I believe, the DFO at Louisiana Lafayette. I'm trying to do this as fast as I can. (laughs) Uh, it you know turns out there's more against the freeze administration than we realize. Now, then, as we all know, Laramie Tunsil happens on draft night, right? Ole Miss has not filed their official response to the NCAA, so we don't even know what the actual accusations are. A month after draft night, we find out, hey, it's a series of level one violations, and it's against Ole Miss. They start self-imposing scholarships officially, and I believe, bud, it's 11 over four years. Yep. Okay, so, and you know, that's bad, it's not crippling, I think you could argue. It's bad for a program like Ole Miss where you're really one mediocre class away from losing what you've got. And by the, I'm talking about Ole Miss in the framework of the back-to-back uh, in New Year's Six Bowl, not, not the Ole Miss, not, not the standard brand Ole Miss, but what Freeze is built to this point, okay? So they get a little worried, but they feel like, hey, we, you know, if we recruit really well and, we, and we're really solid with our talent evaluation, we can work around 11 over 4 when you spread that out. That, and and to, to a degree, I think people in the industry agreed with them, that, hey, you can get out of this, okay? Because they were still hitting on guys. They were still really competing and doing it really well. Uh, then, so Tunsil allows basically the NCAA to go back and keep working on building a better, stronger case against Ole Miss. And this is where the story takes a left turn, bud. The NCAA delivers their amended, in a way, notice of allegations, so their second notice of allegations to Ole Miss. We still haven't seen that specifically, nor have we seen Ole Miss's response, which is what we think we're getting. But in February, Ole Miss releases this super weird, like, Al-Qaeda video. I mean, of it was just incredibly bizarre. Those of us in the media community and the SEC were just – it was, it was as funny as it was kind of sad. 
So it was the brand new chancellor, Jeffrey Vitter, uh, the athletic director, Ross Bjork, and then Freeze himself, which, and we can talk about that in a second. That was a major political play there for Freeze. And they announced that, hey, things are pretty bad. Now it's a continued series of level one violations that include uh, failure to monitor and uh, I'm sorry, failure to monitor was one of the initial charges against Ole Miss. That gets upgraded to a level one violation of lack of institutional control, as well as something, Bud, that's brand new in the revised post-Miami culture of the NCAA, which is a charge of basically the violation of the head coach policy. And what that means is that no matter what happens in terms of your plausible deniability as a head coach, the NCAA can now build with reason a case that says, hey, you should have known this is on your watch, which is something that that accountability had kind of been demanded of the NCAA after years and years of a lot of head coaches skating. This is really a lot of people call it like the Calipari rule for the stuff that he pulled as far back as like UMass in basketball. So that's February. All right. Now what we're anticipating, because this was released, uh, I think it was February 23rd or 24th. So May 23rd to 24th is the is the 90-day cutoff for Ole Miss to officially release their public response. And in this weird hostage video press thing, they say specifically that they're going to protest. Uh, they're going to contend a series of the amended uh, level one allegations against them. Okay, so what does all this mean? All this means a couple things. One, the NCAA is looking for a, a, a true kill shot. They want to make an example. This was sort of rumored for a while and boosters would tell me this kind of stuff at at Ole Miss and other schools and you kind of didn't believe a lot of that because people always think they're being picked on but to see that amended NOA come out this is as clear an attempt to to shut I wouldn't say shut down but but cut the knees out of a out of a a program in the power five that we've seen in the modern era in the post-television era of 1992 on so that's impressive on its own the other thing that's interesting on the Ole Miss side is None of the amended NOA involves Laramie Tunsil. So all the stuff that happened on draft night, the bong, the weed, the, the him sort of getting, uh, he says he was confused, whatever. It was a Freudian slip, we don't know, of saying that he took money from an intermediary who worked at the university you know, via boosters to pay his mom's light bill, right? None of that shows up. And what that tells us, and what I've been told by multiple sources is, his stepfather, Lindsey Miller, the one who's kind of leading the charge against him, or I should say ex-stepfather, his his testimony to the NCAA was proven unreliable. It wasn't credible enough for the NCAA to build a case around it. So this brings us to chapter two of this amended NOA, bud, which is specifically one individual who's a linebacker at Mississippi State now named Leo Lewis. Oh, and Leo, Leo Lewis. Huh. yes, our pal Leo Lewis. So Leo <laughs> Lewis shows up. Leo Lewis shows up in the information that Ole Miss released in February. It, the language is still very. Uh, Guarded from the NCAA, you know, it just says, uh, you know, uh, former employee A, student athlete A, student athlete B. So I've had multiple people confirm to me, and it's it's almost painfully apparent that uh, former student athlete, uh, I'm sorry, prospective student athlete B is Leo Lewis, who's now a linebacker at Mississippi State. So now the, if you're looking at things that could stick, bud, the silver bullet against Ole Miss is this Leo Lewis deal, and that they. They claim to have boosters and evidence that's uh, you know, dead to rights people giving Leo Lewis money to induce him to sign with Ole Miss. Now, this is interesting for a couple a couple reasons. One, Lewis, is, Lewis was heavily recruited in much the same manner by multiple schools. LSU, um, really, Ole Miss, Mississippi State. Uh, yeah. I know he had at least one visit to FSU. Was Auburn in on him too? The, I'll actually share with you yeah. that there was a kid in that year, and I'm not going to say this is Leo Lewis, 
because I, I can't share who told me about this. But there was a school who thought that this one kid's demands uh, were so high that it was like an NCAA trap. Right. Well, I, I you know, I'm not in a confirm or deny stance on that, but I will say this. This story is going to, depending on what happens to Ole Miss, this story is going to kind of bleed out for almost two more years, which is sort of terrifying to think about. I don't. I, I, I'm not saying that the judgment will take that long. I'm saying the reverberations and the things, the sort of shockwaves after this, if the NCAA sort of wins, so to speak, and this Lewis stuff sticks on Ole Miss, his recruitment will, will become even more scrutinized than it was at the time. Uh, really, in terms of what I hear from Oxford, the 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 kind of I guess I'd say that the major suitors for Lewis it came down to Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and LSU. Now that would, that's not to say he didn't have interest from places like Auburn. I know he had, I think you said briefly he was he had some interest from Florida State. This guy was a coveted four-star linebacker. That's fair to say. So where Ole Miss we think is going to head in terms of going to the NCAA is saying this guy was dirty overall. His recruitment was dirty overall. What kind of what kind of legitimacy can he have in in having immunity and testifying against Ole Miss specifically? And how can you throw out the the context of his recruitment overall? That is sort of semantic, but we're in uncharted territory here. So the prediction from a lot of people who would know is that that's the direction Ole Miss is headed, bud. Because they're not getting rid of Hugh Freeze, it doesn't look like. I mean, now, Hugh Freeze may get some sort of show cause, and I mean, they may have to fire Hugh Freeze, but right now, uh, and I, I mean, I'll, I'll say this publicly, I'm kind of shocked, I'm really shocked that they have not parted ways with Hugh Freeze. They've had multiple opportunities. Freeze himself is named in the, in a series of level one violations and with the head coach via, head coaching policy violation and then also lack of institutional control. Uh, I've been told by numerous people in the industry, you know, athletic directors, coaches, you can, can sort of beg mercy from the court, so to speak. And although the NCAA and the committee is not, does not function like a court, Instead of coming out and saying, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna do eleven scholarships over four years," and then we're uh, you know what we're gonna self-impose a one-year bowl ban, right? That was the big thing they did in February. Was we're gonna do a 2017 bowl ban on ourselves? They could have fired Freeze that day and changed the entire dynamic of this of this process, and they didn't. And I think that's the important thing to take away is that Hugh Freeze is still the head coach and has the support of key people at Ole Miss. Now, is that because if if you pull the plug on Freeze, is that also sort of the the AD admitting that he messed up? Would would, would well, he be would he be kind of signing his own pink slip as well? The funny thing about that is Ross Bjork, <laughs> Hugh Freeze and Ross Bjork show up roughly the same time in in Mississippi, but not together. Freeze was not hired by Bjork. Essentially, you had Houston that kind of slowly decimate a program that had been struggling through the through the aughts. Um, through poor recruiting, through mismanagement, and through you know a variety of allegations against him. So the program is dirt, essentially, if you go back to 2011, 2012, okay? They lose to Louisiana Tech. They get hammered in the Egg Bowl. Nutt is fired, but Pete Boone at the time, who's the AD, is cons- sort of considered to be one of the more old-school ADs of the SEC, and I don't mean that in like a good, complimentary Jeremy Foley type of way. He's heavily criticized in the coaching community. So he goes too. He falls on the sword to get rid of Houston Nutt. So now Ole Miss has to hire an AD and they have to hire a coach. They hire the coach first, which is a little unorthodox. But if you remember, Bud, at the time, this was, an, this was not a job that people wanted. 
It didn't pay particularly well. The facilities were eh. The athletic administration structure was still very much cursed by the good old boy mentality of hiring alumni, banking guys, you know, insurance guys, people from Mississippi to run the athletic department. And as we know now, modern athletic departments that are successful, they're just not run like that. Just because you're an alumnus and, you know, you know so-and-so, that does not guarantee you an influential job in an athletic department. So in comes Ross Bjork from Western Kentucky, thought to be a real maverick guy, still is, great fundraiser, one of the best fundraisers in college sports, sterling reputation. He oversees everything that happens or doesn't happen on Freeze's watch, but I still think he has enough plausible deniability to be able to survive this. Thing is, bud, we're sitting here talking about an alternate universe, because as far as I know, now there's, I can tell you, there's separations. There are camps in the greater Ole Miss community between people who are all in on freeze and people who are a little, uh, I would say, ready to move on or just more supportive of the Ole Miss brand. But there, there's not enough distance between those camps to create any kind of separation. That makes sense. And, you know, Godfrey, when I look at this, a lot of people have this idea that the NCAA is never going to hammer one of the blue bloods, right? But it would love to to pop sort of a lesser lesser program in a blue blood yep. conference. Exactly. And, and you want to talk about a ripe target? It, it, some you know a, a school that's been sort of uh, I don't want to say maverick cavalier, but but sort of defiant in some ways publicly. Uh, you know, with, with with the Hugh Freeze tweet. If you guys have any uh, whatever knowledge of violations, blah blah blah. Which I don't know if anything actually ever came of that. Uh, I, I know they took it down eventually. Like I'll say this, bud. Regardless of what happens, so let's say they go in in front of the committee, and they're able to completely contest and debunk this uh, this group of amended charges. Let's just say everything falls the right way for Ole Miss in this situation, and they get out with a one-year self-imposed bowl ban and maybe a handful more scholarship restrictions. And let's say they're able to survive somewhere in the seven, eight-win range for a couple years, and then build back to what they were. Those, those two years, right? Let's just say that that's the rosiest outcome possible. This is all still Freeze's fault. This is all still an example of, of gross hubris and, and naivete and a general unfounded cockiness from Freeze, from his support staff, from his coaches. And I, I mean, I don't think that can be argued. That tweet... I've heard more about that tweet from other coaches and other people in college athletics than I have about anything to do with a kid sleeping on somebody's couch as a violation or a rental car for an extra week or all this ticky-tack stuff. Because what that tweet did was to send up a signal flare to everyone else who was mad about, look, Bud, you know this, in recruiting, anyone who starts to have instant success or instant success, but anyone who who jumps in the pecking order, a usurper, is going to be criticized. They're going to, there's going to be accusations against them, whether they're running it clean or not. Right? This happens everywhere, even in my own backyard. When I saw, when I saw James Franklin, and he didn't recruit at Vanderbilt the way that Freeze improved recruiting at Ole Miss. It was marginal, but people were complaining that Vanderbilt was cheating just because they were actually working at recruiting for the first time. So this always happens. But what Freeze did, and and I can't overstate this enough was he obviously, as we know, is not running a 100% clean ship because no one is, especially in the SEC. But on top of that, he's a new kid on the block. He's made fresh enemies. He's pulled recruits away from major programs with major influential boosters across the South. Out-of-state recruits. And then he starts, He basically it's a double middle finger. It's, it's, a, it's a giant kick-me sign 
And on top of that, the NCAA says, you know what? Hey, not to quote, I mean, well, I love to quote Tombstone, but he looks at him and says, hey, I'm your Huckleberry. The NCAA says, cool. You want to throw down, you want to challenge us to go through. We're already, by the way, the NCAA is already on campus when he sends that tweet out, which is, again, compounding the stupidity of this. You know, this isn't really a conversation maybe for this podcast, bud, but what fascinates me, because I'm the, I ride the coaching cycle every year as a reporter, I think Freeze could go down as a great example of why college football needs to go back to encouraging a slower structure, slower build for some of these young head coaches. Yes, I, I totally agree. You know, Godfrey, this podcast is not as popular as yours or as you know, a couple other ones, and but I do think that everybody listens to a college football recruiting podcast is like a serious diehard yeah, college absolutely. football nerd. Like yeah. I, I don't think any of this is too is too in yeah. the weeds for them. And I agree that there's too much pressure on young coaches to build too quickly. You know, I, well, I, I just think they they they're they you don't know what you don't know, bud. Right? Like you don't know how to read a room. You don't know how to manage boosters. You don't know how to compose yourself. And and honestly, you may be a you may be the most brilliant X's and O's, or you may be the most most in tune recruiter you've ever seen. It doesn't matter. You don't know what you don't know, and you get into these situations with high political stakes, especially in a place like Ole Miss. You know, maybe this doesn't happen if Hugh Freeze goes to Minnesota and not Ole Miss, but he did. And on top of that, I think had he had the experience, or had he had maybe even an inner council, or a, he doesn't really come off of a tree. That's the other thing too that I think people don't realize with Hugh Freeze. So Tom Herman, at every point in turn that I've talked to Tom, will inevitably reference something from Meyer. Right. Mm -hmm. And as will other Meyer people. Same thing goes for Harbaugh. You know, when I talk to Willie Taggart, he's espousing things from Harbaugh and then Harbaugh's father. Same Jimbo thing with, goes. with Saban, Muschamp, Mike Ex Tomlin, even back exactly. in the 90 days. Exactly. Right. We can yeah. play. So so if you throw out a coach, you and I can say can give you the three uh, highly successful influencers in front of them. Freeze is unique in that he doesn't really have that. Now, I'm not saying that that's necessarily a, a death sentence because you look Malzahn was sort of in a, in a similar situation and that he was a, he was a maverick, but freeze for whatever reason, I think there was some grooming there in terms of handling this stuff that he, that he lacked. And I think it may end up being the Achilles heel of this whole deal because, you know, it, the more I do this job, but the less I, I, I look in coaches in terms of play callers or system guys, because guys that you think run systems, they really don't. They're always adapting. There's no such thing anymore as he's a spread guy. He's a he's a pro style guy. They're going to do whatever they can. It's how you. It's it's much more of the executive style structure. And again, to go back to guys like I think the difference between Herman and Strong at Texas is that Herman look they can both recruit right. Strong had the uh, was it two classes ago. Strong has this like you know 48 hour coup. Oh, of yeah. pulling all these guys in. So it's strong recruited everywhere he's ever been. He's always been yeah. a great recruiter. And, and look, man, you make your bones in Florida. If you're successful as a Florida recruiter, then you're going to be able to recruit anywhere. You know, you can recruit to the moon. But the difference is that CEO experience. And when you start let like when we start ticking off top coaches in college football, you don't see the CEO experience. Um in places like, you know, when when you get to that cutoff, like like Bud and I and the, and our colleagues at SB Nation, we always try and we tried our best to create these buckets of this is, an, this is a truly elite job, this is a job you can win at, et cetera. And there's a cutoff mark between the jobs and, the, and the, those elite coaches where they, don't, they still approach it like football coaches and they still make football coach mistakes. And I think Freeze's situation is a great example of that. I, I think that's a great point. From 
a recruiting and this discussion has been hell a lot better than I thought it was going to be. And, and I appreciate you giving me a lot more time than we had talked about in Slack. No, no worries. How much do we think this approach from Ole Miss is going to extend the timetable? Because I, I, I look and look, I always talk about, I don't really give a damn about recruiting rankings in June, right? Yeah. I, I just publish my top 20 unrated or yet to be rated players that who I think most of them are going to be four stars. So there's a lot of movement to happen. But as we talk on Tuesday, Old Miss is 45th in the nation in recruiting no four or five stars. I'd go down there if you want to use the 247 crystal ball, which, look, it's flawed but you know helpful sometimes. Don't really see any four stars or five stars projected to them. And anecdotally, when I'm on the recruiting trail, and I think I've hit 12 cities so far this year uh, all over the country, I, I don't really hear kids talking about Ole Miss either, which is a very stark contrast to what I heard over the last several years. Uh, mm-hmm. especially back in that Kimbiche class with, with Treadwell and all those guys. How much is this extending, like, how much is this approach from Ole Miss going to drag out the inevitable, inevitable decision, or, or is it at all? We don't know yet 100%. Um, it really comes down to when we see this response, what kind of tactic they're, they're going to go with. We think that they are, so again, I'm a, everything's couched in we think I've been told all right until until we actually see the documentation that they're filing we don't know but what we think is that they have they've had so many opportunities to ditch out on freeze work out some sort of deal and and then sort of take their whooping and move on that's not the road they're going so this thing looks like it's headed to the committee on infractions which is a group uh, they have a chairperson it's essentially a jury um, and I'm going to have to write more as, as this thing, you know, this is probably going to end in a, a different way than North Carolina buds. So I think we'll probably have to write more about how this thing happens. Um, they're going to go in front of the committee. The NCA will have presented their case. The Ole Miss will sort of present their case. Um, all the filings are in and then the committee comes and says, all right, we've met. We think it's this, this, and this, um, that is slated now tentatively could get on the docket in October. They could have a decision and know their fate before the early signing period. However, there's also any number of things that could happen in between now and then that could delay one step of this process. And I'll give you a good example was they delayed their response to the initial in a way because of uh, individual counsel for some of the assistant uh, former assistant coaches that were involved in the nut era. And I think it was Chris Vaughn who was fired from Texas Okay. He was named initially. So at any point in time, lawyers from, from any any group involved could could get involved and, and gum this up a little bit. Now, I will say this. Off-the-record conversations with both sides, NCAA and Ole Miss, there is a strong desire to get this done. You're now talking about something where they, they, the cloud of the NCAA starts when they come to campus. Because in the South, you can't hide that, right? Rival schools are going to the message boards and all that. They're going to find out, and it's going to start going. So – I think in earnest, this thing has really been going on with knowledge amongst hardcore college football fans since 13. And that's a long time. Now, they, Ole Miss has done their best. Uh, I don't know where they finished. I know. I mean, they definitely hit the, hit the curb in, in 17 on that class. I think they finished in the 30s. Is that right? They were uh, third, from the, or, or third from the bottom in the SEC. Um, mean, yeah. if you just want to compare it to, the, to the, their peers, uh, Kentucky beat them out. Missouri was basically even with them, and they they beat Vanderbilt. Uh, I think clearly. 
Yes. And, and actually, you know what? You bring up a good point. People who don't cover cover recruiting like myself, we should probably speak more in context to the conference when it comes to the SEC because it doesn't really matter if you beat, you know, North Carolina or Wisconsin. But when you're third to the bottom in the SEC, that's who you're going to live and die against. So and all the teams you. that that are around them are in the East. Yeah. Okay. Great. So 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 that's the lot that they're that they're sort of stuck with. You that have was to kind assume of my thought like if. if you have to assume out, that if they do this again in 18, they're going to suffer for it for probably three years. And yeah, then, so. and then what? Look at this. Um, that's tough. That's like that. that you're going to be, I think Hugh Freeze is a pretty good coach, but that's, that's not going to be a, an easy roster to, to battle the SC West with. There's a lot of interesting things. I mean, to me, there have been a lot of sort of signs that are they're there if you look so back on the coaching front when freeze goes and has to find a new offensive coordinator new defensive coordinator folks weren't lining up for those gigs and these are sec gigs that that pay really well Ole Miss has done really really well under bjork in raising money creating capital funds uh building uh projects they've always been a little it's kind of weird they've always been about a step and a half ahead of schools that are way bigger and better than them when it comes to facilities. They at least could get, you know, they were very good about working with the bank culture in Mississippi and, and, and getting stuff, getting the dirt and the cement going. They were always good about that. And they've maintained that. They really do have strong facilities. It's a great college town, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But, and, it, and now, thanks to the University of Florida, it's also a four and a half, five million dollar year job. So the, the line of logic amongst those people that are connected to this program that aren't in the church of freeze, pardon the pun, they're starting to figure out, well, who are we and what are we after this? So nobody really wanted this job, and that's why a one-year head coach at Arkansas State who was extremely green got this job to begin with. But yes, by virtue of what he's done, but then also the infrastructure build and the fundraising and all that stuff, this is a different job. It's still an extremely hard job. It's, it, it's still... You're still living life in the SEC West, right? Where you pretty much have to have a kamikaze mission to succeed as Ole Miss. But it's also a $4 million, $5 million job for the right coach. So I think the big question right now is the people who aren't living and dying with Freeze are looking around and going, I wonder what we could do. I wonder what the market looks like, and I wonder what our identity could be. And, I mean... This decision-making process and, and the, the course of action that they're pursuing definitely has an impact on that. Um, well, and it, I think the worst-case scenario for Ole Miss now is you're going to get punished. If you stick by a guy that you could have fired and taken a better deal, that's going to look the worst. That will be the most – as someone who spent 11 years in Mississippi and has a degree from Ole Miss – but is not from there and, and feels, and, and I just say personally as a writer and a reporter, I feel very much a step removed from that culture. Um, that would be the most Mississippi thing possible is that you put your faith in the guy who ends up costing you so much more and you're going to lose him anyway. And currently it looks like it's just going to be so hard for him to succeed unless you're willing to commit to him for like an, another, yeah, know, and five Brad, years. you know, that, like, like when I mean, you, that, when you expect Ole Miss to be good again, Given like like let's assume like 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 they split the baby on this right. Old Miss doesn't win, they civilly doesn't win. They they kind of split maybe a few more penalties, but not the 
not the crazy harsh. And then they basically duplicate the 2017 recruiting class. So you have basically back-to-back classes that are like a standard deviation below the the rest of the SEC West. Okay. When's a reasonable expectation to be good again? 2020? Yeah, probably 20. Are, are you going to stick with Hugh Freeze in 2020? 519. I mean, hey, bud, that's the cult of personality. And I'm not trying to I'm, – I'm not uh, – I'm not uh, approving of this one way or the other. I, this is not I'm, objectively. I'm just telling you that's what that's the power of the cult of personality with Hugh Freeze, apparently. And so, yeah, if if they want to lay out a plan and they know, I mean, here's the other thing we haven't talked about, bud. They've self-imposed a one-year bowl ban. If the NCAA comes down and says actually it's two, is the roster open? Are they going, or or will the NCAA create some sort of clause or some sort of exception? And if they do that, how is that fair to the kids? So if yeah, they I mean, go to a two-year bowl ban and they open that roster, then it's done. It's over. Because you talk about trying to rebuild. I mean, I, I, I've spent a lot of time around Franklin and Penn State. Those guys got their scholarships back, and those guys did not compete in the SEC West. I'm sorry. I know the Big Ten East is really good now. But it wasn't but when they were rebuilding it. No. I mean, you had when Michigan State's your bell cow, something's wrong with your conference, and the Big Ten figured that out. But – for Ole Miss to try and rebuild in this era, if you if you're I'm talking about if you're losing, I mean, just off the top of my head, forty scholarship players, and they're and they're allowed to go anywhere. I don't know. I mean, to me, that's to me that's like the true nuclear war moment. Now, I think if that happens, I've written about this before, and I've been accused of being a uh, like a fabulist, like like a um, sensationalist. If that happens, you know, bodies are buried everywhere in the South. You know this, bud. Especially, in re- obviously, in recruiting. It's not like Ole Miss would take the decimation of their program in the modern era and just go away. It would create a war that I think Mike Slive always knew could happen and was, and was able to intercede amongst dis- disputes between schools and disputes between the league and other partners Slide was always about keeping that peace, right? Because everyone benefited from mutually assured destruction. And that armistice kind of made everybody better for it. And it's so weird that I, I do want to bring this up. You look at the way that LSU and Florida got handled last year and the way LSU and Florida were able to, for lack of a better term, act up in public. I don't see that if this were to happen in this current climate, Greg Sankey runs the conference in a different way. If Ole Miss is, if Ole Miss goes nuclear and its boosters start turning in hard evidence against other schools, whether or not any of it sticks against the Mississippi state or Alabama or whomever, that's going to create a PR nightmare for the sec. And Godfrey, you can argue that the sec's dominant run in the two thousands actually could have happened in the nineties. Had they not had all, you know, kind of oh, absolutely. decades of, uh, of exactly what you described, maybe to a slightly lesser extent, uh, happening. I mean, Slive is kind of largely deserves a lot of the credit for the SEC's rise because he was able yeah. to establish sort of a, a status of Cold War, right? Well, like and the other threats, thing, too, that's not real. I think this doesn't really affect or is affected by what's going on at Ole Miss because Ole Miss is a sub, it, it's not the first tier job in the SEC. You start rattling off the jobs. But because of their recent success and the amount of exposure that they've had, they're they they're sort of in that air right now. But when you look at, I mean, what Alabama has done, 
I think it's affected the coaching culture to a point where if you had to list the best coaches and the best coaching staffs in college football, so you would name Alabama, right? Mm-hmm. And then who would you name? Uh, now start that Meyer going, hired Kevin Wilson, I'd probably go Ohio State because I think Shiano on defense, awesome. Right, and, they, and then just like real fast off the top of my head, let's, I would go like, let's say Michigan, Ohio State. Clemson. For, yeah, Florida State, Clemson. Washington. And then on and on, right, uh, Washington and maybe USC. The point, of, the point of the exercise is when do you go back to the SEC? Uh, oof. 15, 14? I mean, LSU unproven, although I think their coordinator hires are great. They're fan. Uh, I mean, best offensive and defensive coordinators in the country right now. Whether or not everything works, we'll have to see. Georgia will see head coach wildly improvement. That's kind of the same reason why I don't give you know LSU benefit of the doubt because their head coach issue right now. Uh, Auburn's had some uncertainty. Florida, yeah. no, we'll see. But they, they, you know, the, I think the shine is kind of off Nussmeyer there as far as an OC. Their, their offense has been dreadful. Tennessee, definitely well, and not. they just they, and I mean Florida is losing a bunch of defense and replacing a good defensive coordinator, and that was what was helping them along. And so. No, I mean, the point of the exercise is the Saban effect is being felt in the conference. And I think it's going to have – it's going to start to show up in the depth. Is that life against Saban has decimated these schools well, in and, terms of being prestige programs. And, but it also impacts, I, I think, the, the decision-making to too great of an extent. Like, Les Miles got fired not because he kept losing to Saban, in my opinion, but because he also kept losing all these other games that LSU's talent suggests they should not lose. Like, if you exactly. want to just go by, hey, what, who has the most talent – well, Alabama should never lose, and LSU should be expected to lose to Alabama because Alabama, even though LSU's an elite recruiter, Alabama's sort of this next stratosphere that nobody's on except for you know occasionally Ohio State in a given year, but not as consistently. Well, and, we, and we've talked about this at work, but you know, eight and four from Alzon is tolerable if if eight wins involve Alabama, but nine and three may not be good enough next year if he keeps losing Alabama. This idea that like we are judging people based on a standard of arguably the greatest coach of all time, and I think certainly the greatest coach in our lifetimes, uh, is is kind of silly, and I think it's caused almost too much turnover in the SEC. No, I think it's uh, and that, that's the the bigger picture that the league is going to have to deal with, and I only bring this up in in context of this conversation is if you blow up a program. Or if you're the NCAA or you're the SEC and you don't get involved in this, and, and from what I've been told, they really did, they got involved too late and they didn't really know how to get involved the right way. And, the, and, and you get a giant year and a half long media narrative of mudslinging, that's only going to further hurt the brand, especially as conferences you look around, okay, the Big Ten's figured itself out, very much so. By the way, you know they figured themselves out, we're going to become the SEC on a national level. That's what, that's how they did that. And then now you have the ACC fortifying what I've been calling, you know, on Bill and I's podcast, I always call it the upper middle class. And they're doing it in a way that, you know, a lot of it is not, is unproven, but a lot of it's really scary if it works, you know, Virginia tech, great hire, Miami, really good hire. North Carolina and Fedora will probably end, but that, you know, that's solid. You start Syracuse looking upgraded, around, you know? Yeah, uh, Absolutely. NC State is seeing a little uptick in recruiting good young yeah. defensive staff. Even hell, Bronco Mendenhall was the arguably the, the least impressive hire anybody made in the league, and it's still a good hire. Yeah, right. So, so you go back, and if you're Greg Sankey and you're looking at which way the wind blows, 
you don't want Ole Miss to turn into a big nuclear pothole in your yard because that's because then you're going to be wrapped up with crap, for lack of a better term, dealing with Alabama and Mississippi State to some degree, I think maybe LSU, for two or three years. It's not going to look good. And that's what they care about because they're selling television. They're not selling sports. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why this whole immunity thing is so interesting to me. You know, is it is it a qualified immunity? Does it extend to, you know, Mississippi State, regardless of whatever is said? Does it extend to any other schools? Like, is it is it an immunity with blinders to where if student athlete B says things about Ole Miss, the NCAA will use it, but they don't care about what, what he says about other schools? Right. You know what I'm saying? That, I don't know if we know the specifics on it yet. Well, I'm working on that right now. And, and the NCAA is trying its hardest in, in an active investigation I wouldn't say to be transparent, but I would say to be more transparent. So I don't want to come off as necessarily complimentary of one of the parties involved as a reporter, but it is a new day at the NCAA, which is also why, and, I, and I'll close on this, I've heard Freeze and I've heard other people talk about precedent and history. That's the wrong way to look at this thing. Completely wrong. There really is no precedent or history for this stuff because the NCAA and how it operates and the way that they function after Miami is completely different. So I wouldn't I wouldn't look at what you know what happened at Alabama in the what, 98 and then t- you know Tennessee and all that like that's not the way you need to look at the situation. This is a new day at the NCAA. Is a lawsuit a legitimate option here? I mean I know I'm the, I'm the lawyer asking the non-lawyer question. For who? For the school. Or are they I mean, bound it, by, by their it's by, the by burden their of proof. guidelines? I mean it's the burden of proof. Yeah. A lawsuit and a deposition is going to open up things in a public manner. You know, it, that reminds me very much of what happened with Laramie Tunsil. And that, you know, I was told specifically by sources at the FBI, yeah, we can go in and do this, but they don't want us to because we come in, we, you know, we come in with butcher knives and we're really good. But, you know, they, they want us to come in and, and, oh, sidestep this and don't, you know, don't look at that. That's not how – if you get a public institute involved, this thing goes to a court of law. There's a discovery phase. You know this. Like, it could get really bad. Right. And for so I don't know if Ole Miss who, wants to go down that road. Who don't know what, what Godfrey's talking about, uh, he's talking about would the FBI investigate who hacked uh, Laramie Tunzel on draft night. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that that would be – I would be shocked if the university went that route. Also, I mean, the university council has been complicit this entire time in the investigation. So I don't see how they suddenly turn an about face and, and try and sue the people that they've worked alongside for four years, five years. Makes sense. Uh, this is going to be going to be fascinating to follow, and not only for Ole Miss, but but for the the, the conference as a whole. Um, and we did forty minutes on this. I might just do this as its own episode. Um, so it was good talk. Yeah, no doubt, dude. Nice little little value add. And guys, go read Stephen Godfrey's piece. It's it's excellent. It's on the website. Click our website. Advertisers like it. We, we like paychecks, and uh, we like producing content. So, Bud, you know, uh, I was I was down on Broadway in Nashville last night and doing the NHL thing, completely unrelated to this. But you know, I run into people who listen to our content or read our content at SB Nation, and inevitably, I get the same question asked, which is probably the question you get asked. And they say, oh, you, you went to college at Ole Miss. You must be a big Ole Miss fan. And I always tell people this as a journalist. And they say, well, they, oh, what's your favorite school then? University of paying my mortgage, bud. 
Mine is for the record. I root for the kids who I I like and who I just you know you observe a lot of their behavior on social media and whatnot, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the kids who don't share memes about miscarriages and things, I, I generally favor those type of kids. Uh, and I like coaches who I think don't lie to kids. Look, I think they all lie some, but yeah. the ones who I, I don't regard as like big time dirtbags. That's, yeah, I'll call, uh, that, that's yeah. another topic for another day, bud, and, and we'll figure out what podcast to do it on. But it's funny, I, I used to pull for coaches, and now in a post Bryles era, I'm terrified to even give the benefit of the doubt to coaches that are my sources now. It's such a tricky world. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, that, that's that's fair. Um, I, I guess I'm coming at just from the limited qualified perspective of how they treat recruits. But yeah. Oh, and when I mow my yard, I wear a Georgia Southern t-shirt. So there's my bias. You got me. I wear there a tailor-made hat. There you go. Georgia Southern. So it's I'm all in the bag. I'm, I'm, they bought me off. <laughs> all right, man. Take it easy. Thanks, bud.